Welcome to Find the Magic, the podcast that will help you honor yourself, your kids, and your partner. We'll give you tips and strategies to create peace and authenticity within your family. We inhale a ridiculous amount of books and life tools and distill the information for you. I'm Terilyn Griffin. I'm Caitlin Gabriel. And I'm Felicia Allen. Let's find the magic together. Hey everybody, we are so excited to bring you this conversation with Colin Karchner today. All of us in the time of the pandemic have so many things moving online and our kids are exposed to social media more and we are going to be talking about how to have a healthier relationship ourselves for our teens and even for our little kids. I quickly wanted to tell you about a new program called Compassion Parenting by Dr. Mary Wild, who we have had on the podcast before. Um, it is a monthly membership that gives you access to a anchored, present, loving community of parents all working together towards a similar goal. So we will link that in our show notes. All right. I hope you enjoy this interview. All right, everybody, we are here today with Colin Karchner. He is a social activist and um, just a huge help for all of us parents looking to see how we can save our kids from this, I would say, epidemic of social media and what it's, how it's affecting our kids. So welcome, Colin. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Can you introduce yourself to our listeners and just give that them a That was such background. a good intro though. We could just leave it at that, right? <laughs> leave it there. Uh, yeah. So uh, I'm a dad. I have four kids. Um, I, I got three girls and a boy. Uh, my oldest just started ninth grade and I've got two. So ninth grade, seventh grade, uh, fourth and second. Um, three years ago, founded this little grassroots movement all by myself called, uh, I just called it Save the Kids and started kind of just shouting about what technology and specifically social media was doing to young people. Um, I had seen what I've been doing to parents, you know, I, I, uh, before that I had this funny Instagram account where I used to kind of just poke fun of how ridiculous social media had become for adults mm-hmm. um, and how we turn it into like this, like huge, like fake facade of like a nonstop parade of perfectionism, whatever. That was a good alliteration right there. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but I didn't realize how that, that young people were on this, you know, this whole time, like my oldest wasn't old enough to like have a smartphone. Um, and I didn't realize that like all the kids were on this stuff and teenagers, you know, high schoolers had Instagram and Snapchat and, and, uh, and so I'll tell I, I could talk about it later, but uh, after a really uh, terrible, something happened to, to a family friend that we have to their daughter, um, I started this movement and uh, just started shouting about it, finding, doing research and uh, opening up a, a link between kids and parents, be able to like give kids a voice and let them share what this is really doing to them. Um, and so now I just, uh, pre-COVID, I was going out on the road every week, um, speaking like the first year, I think I spoke like almost 500 times. And then uh, right before COVID, I was speaking like 30 to 90 times a month. I'd go to like a city, talk to all the, do with all the middle school assemblies, high schools, and then do a parent night. And, and it was just awesome because they're always packed. Like parents, I was like standing room only. Parents really, uh, really care about their kids and, uh, and, and want to help their kids be the best. I think a lot of us saw a lot of us didn't see it coming. Most parents that have older kids or in college now were like, I had no idea what this stuff could do. I mean, I had no idea what Instagram was or Snapchat or whatever. And I just saw my daughter just grow up overnight and she started hating herself and she started getting really depressed. And I just thought it was just being a teenager. I had no idea it was that phone I was paying for that Mm -hmm. was doing it to her. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so uh, that's it. Like I just, uh, I really care about the kids. Uh, that's my only motivation is to save and help as many kids as I can. And I realized that to do that, I've got to help wake up the parents. Yeah. Um, so that's my job. I appreciate that you just said that parents care. I think for a lot of parents, it's unintentional. And the beauty about this conversation is it allows parents to open their eyes. And I feel all of us as parents kind of feel that deep down an intuitive, anytime we talk about screens, all of us know deep down that, ah, oh, you know what? Yeah, that we, we need to do something better <laughs> as a society. And so I love it that as you share these kind of tools, specific tools that we can use as parents and also the statistics of why we should care. It's to me inspiring. And I just love that, that we, I love that you're just recognizing that, yeah, all of us parents, we really do care and we want to do our best. So as you listeners out there, listen to Colin, he's going to share some stuff that is going to blow your mind and open your eyes. And so this is a space of, instead of guilt, guilt and feeling so bad, it's yeah. just an inspiring moment to open our eyes to change. This just is like, the no shame zone. Absolutely. No we shame. All, we've all messed up. All of us messed up. And you know what? Parents, my, one of my biggest tips for parents is like, be okay to mess up and admit it, right? Like mm -hmm. you want to really connect with that teenager who you've lost all connection with because they're on their phone all day and they hate your guts. One of the best things you can do is walk in there and be like, hey, I'm going to go on a drive with you. And in the car, when they're in the backseat or shoulder to shoulder, not making eye contact because that's, you know, awkward. Mm -hmm. it, it, they, I just want to tell you that I'm really sorry. Like I messed up. I, I, I really screwed up with you. Like, and I'm so sorry that I, I had no idea what this stuff, like I saw, I gave you that phone. I saw what happened. And like, you told me about what Snapchat and what boys were doing and asking you for. And like, I, I just didn't know back then. And I, I'm really sorry. And I really want to fix it. Um, you know, be okay to just mess up as a parent. Like if my dad, oh my gosh, would have admitted a mistake growing up, I'd still probably be talking to him sometimes. <laughs> um, you know, but now it's been, I don't know, nine years, right? And so be okay to mess up. It's hard to be a parent. It's really freaking hard. Uh -huh. And we have, to, we have to just throw this facade out the window that like, we're so perfect. Yay, everything's amazing. Look at my Instagram. Oh, I'm, you know, we got to get rid of this and just be like, look, we suck at this. Our parents suck more. So what do we do to fix this? And right now to fix it, you have to do things differently than all the other parents are doing. If you yeah. want to keep your kids safe and mentally strong and resilient and you want to protect them, you cannot follow the crowd because the crowd is throwing kids off cliffs right now. I mean, there's the Pied Piper leading them to who knows where. So it's okay to, to admit you messed up. And if you have messed up and you're feeling the guilt, if you want to feel a lot better, go apologize to your teenagers. Oh, that's so beautiful. That is a parenting. I mean, if I can make that into a sign, it's okay to mess up and apologize <laughs> to your kids. I love that. Yeah. And I think on that, no, I've heard you talk a little bit about your dad and we talk a lot on our podcast about, you know, we set these clear boundaries for our kids and we let them push against those, but it's really our, our responsibility to put those boundaries up and be more authoritative in our parenting. And I, I've kind of seen that trend towards, you know, let's just let our kids do whatever we want. We love them and we give them the trophy every single time and just um, make them feel like they're the best things ever and there's no rules and we're their best friends. And I think it's kind of a pushback against how we were parented. Oh, yeah. um, and when you were talking earlier, when you're introducing yourself, you said, we're giving them the, this phone that we paid for that we haven't even looked to see what's on there. We're putting it right in their hands 
do you think that's an easy place to start for parents with with just setting more boundaries around yeah the screens and the phones yeah um Kids in charge are not happy kids. And even though they think they might be happy, but if you look at the rise in anxiety for young people, a lot of that is because the hierarchy in the homes have flipped mm-hmm. where the kids are now in charge and they know it and they know that's not right. They, they know when mom is, you know, their Uber and their servant and their coach and their, you know, essay writer for their admissions tests or whatever it is. And, and they know that and they feel like everything revolves around them it puts them in a really, really shaky place emotionally. Um, and, you can, and teenagers tell me this all the time. They're like, gosh, I wish, like I'll, I'll have kids come to me after assemblies in high school that say, I wish my mom cared enough about me to have set some boundaries for me. Like that's literally what they say word for word. I wish they would love me enough to set some boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if this is us all overcompensating because maybe a lot of us didn't have really great relationships with our parents growing up because how they were raised. And now we're all trying to like really overdo it and be way too cool with our kids and like free range kids and have everything you want. And, you know, I've, I've seen videos on TikTok of like parents sitting next to their teenagers and like, my parents are so cool. Curfew, 3 a.m., phone, anything I want, like smoke weed in the house, no big deal, buy alcohol. For, and it's like, dude, they're bragging about how awful they are as parents. It's like, what are we doing? Right. Right. Um, but kids, they need the boundaries. Um, and healthy boundaries, right? You, you don't want to be on the spectrum of authoritative 100% and then the other side, which is just overly passive, total pushover. Uh, it's all about finding that happy medium, which is going to be different for every kid, uh, really kind of depending on their personality. I've got four kids. My second, like I don't have to set any rules with, I don't think, because she already wants to follow the rules. Mm-hmm. Um, my third one is maybe going to be an issue when she grows up a little bit. Uh, might need a little more boundaries, but uh, my favorite thing to, to to tell parents today is like, if you want to be a good parent today, you have to be a brick wall with a big smiley face on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. A nice, strong, <laughs> like like the um, seatbelt on a roller coaster, where you're there, you're keeping them safe, and the safety is when they come up against that, that they actually feel your firmness. That's where my my limit is. Exactly. And if you think about that, I've heard, I've heard that analogy and I love the, the, the big piece of that that I love the most is when you are getting on a roller coaster that's going to loop-de-loop and go upside down. So they have that bar that comes over your shoulders. What happens? They pull it down and then some guy who makes eight fifty an hour uh, walks by and just, you know, pulls on it really quick just to like shake it for a second, right? Mm-hmm. And then he goes on and, and you think about why is he shaking it? He's shaking it to make sure what? That it stays there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not hoping that, oh, if I shake it, it would slip open. And then you can see right there that, oh, you would have died, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's what kids are. That's what teenagers are. Every day they're shaking, right? They're shaking kids. They're shake, they shake. And why are they shaking you? Not to know that you're going to open up one day and that's going to release and they could potentially die emotionally or whatever. Uh, they're shaking it to make sure that's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. So let them shake and shake as hard as they want and know that they're shaking and by you not opening is showing how you love them. Yes. And I'm loving the brick wall with a smiley face analogy. Mm-hmm. I'm going to think of that next time because when kids usually push against boundaries, oftentimes they react unhappily when you don't move. And I think us allowing them that reaction that you can be unhappy that I took this, you know, that I'm not allowing this on your mm-hmm. phone and that's, you can be unhappy about it, but I'm going to be firm there. Yeah. Can you can you give us some motivation? I say I would love to start with the teenage um, age. Most of our listeners have younger kids, but I think that teenage age is something that we can all open our eyes to the future. And we also have many listeners who do have teenage kids. 
So could you give us a little motivation on what the teenage picture is looking right at, what's it looking like right now? And give us some motivations, maybe some stats, and then where to start with, if you have teenagers, where okay. do you start? If this is your, like, I need to make some changes, where do you start? Yeah. And then well, we'll go I, to younger kids. You bet, yeah. Uh, whenever I do a parent night in a, a community, I always start off by saying, okay, if you have kids that are 12 and under, like your oldest is, you know, 11 or 12, raise your hand. And then, you know, half the group raises their hands and they're all smiling and laughing and happy. And I say, okay, if, you're, if your kids are older, high school age, uh, raise your hand. And then the hands go up. And I say, do you guys see the faces? Do you see the difference? Like <laughs> all the, oh, my, my oldest is 11. Everyone's like, yay, parenting. This is so fun. I'm like, look at the parents. They're all teenagers. They're, they look at you. They're like, you have no idea what you're getting into right now. Um, being a teenager today, um, I wish I could be more positive about it. I really do. Um, it sucks to be a teenager today. I mean, being in middle school was already sucky enough. Um, and imagine, and I, and I kicked this off when I did my TED uh, a couple years ago. I said, okay, I want you all to imagine that you're 13 again. Um, you know, emotionally, what's going on? Like you're the most unstable you've ever been. You have no idea who you are and, and your brain is changing and, you're much, and, you're, and you go from only caring about what mom and dad think really to now what everyone else thinks, right? Where you start kind of distancing yourself from parents and, and wanting to be accepted by your peers and all those things. So it's already a really tough time. Now I want moms who are listening right now who are, have kids, I want you to imagine being 13 again and then imagine I hand you a smartphone with Instagram and Snapchat. Oh. And parents, literally, moms, they just start laughing. They're like, oh, I could never. I've had groups of women, moms with teenage kids say, oh my gosh, if I had Snapchat growing up, I would have died. Like I would not have survived. And then I go, how many of your daughters have Snapchat? And every hand goes up. It's like, okay, do we see the irony here? Mm -hmm. um, when we made smartphones the big thing and we hand them all to our kids, if you look at the stats, um, that's when anxiety and depression among young people and suicide ideation and suicide completion started to skyrocket. Mm -hmm. um, last year in states like California, uh, one out of five high schoolers said they have thought about, uh, thought about or attempted suicide. Uh, in Utah, where I live in October, a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, one out of four teenagers said they feel sad enough to consider suicide. Um, and one of the scariest things is the rise of self-harming among young kids. Um, I'm talking third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade. Um, every elementary school I went to from coast to coast and even in Canada, I would ask the school counselors, I'd say, do you have uh, kids fourth, fifth, sixth grade that are self-harming and then posting videos of it on TikTok or on Snapchat or on whatever? And they all say, oh, absolutely. Um, that's the one that kind of scares me the most. Um, right. And they're learning about it on social media. They have, they hear about it on social media, everything, you know, there's, there's this whole like new, there's this trend almost like, I hate to call it a trend where young people are out there just saying how depressed and how sad and how miserable they are. Um, and, and a lot of it is they're just fishing for some type of attention mm -hmm. uh, because they're not getting it home. And, and this, and, and all of these are just symptoms of the problem. I think if we took out social media right now, um, if we took away smartphones, if we took all the way uh, and, and nothing else changed, I think we'd still have the same problems um, because these are just symptoms of a bigger problem is that kids are not feeling connection. Um, they're not feeling connection to their parents. They're not feeling strong connections with their siblings, with their community, with their neighborhood, with their friends. Um, we have kind of ripped away all the amazing things we had growing up that made childhoods fun. 
which is go out and play and don't come back till the light turns on and, or don't come back till dad throws his sausage fingers in his mouth and shrieks that velociraptor whistle that <laughs> all of us remember, right? Um, and parents have all freaked out so much. I think a lot of that is because, you know, some of us watched like abducted in plain sight or like the 10 buddy tapes or like all this stuff on Netflix and we freaked out. And so now we don't let our kids leave the, leave the basement, but um, we've got to, we've, we've got to look at this. The, this is just a symptom. The anxiety, depression, I mean, these, these things are all signs of despair. And the opposite of despair is connection. So where are we losing our kids is in that connection. They need to be seen, heard, and loved. And if they're not getting that home because mom and dad are too busy with work or too busy on their Facebook or Instagram uh, or whatever they are uh, that is putting in front of their kids, kids need those things. They need those. They're called needs for a reason. They have to be met. And so where can I get those needs met? I can, if mom and dad aren't paying attention and I don't have a community or a neighborhood or a tribe anymore, um, I can go on TikTok and like pull my shirt up a little bit and shake my booty and throw it back and lip sync to the worst lyrics ever. Mm -hmm. And suddenly, boom, 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 here's some likes. And I don't know who they are, but you know what? That feels a lot better uh, than the attention I don't get at home. Um, so this is, this is a, for being a teenager today, uh, throwing, so, throwing social media to them, I honestly feel, and if you talk to school teachers or therapists that work with teenagers or even parents that have teenagers that are now in college, uh, this is the biggest mistake that we have ever made for this generation was letting them get on these apps and throwing them smartphones and then disconnecting with them. Um, it has caused more problems. I mean, we, we worry about things like gun control and school shootings. I mean, the, the deaths at, that have been caused because of this technology and what it has done to kids is way higher than any other issue out there. Um, suicide rates for most states for 10 to 17 year olds, suicide is the leading cause of death um, for most states for 10 to 17 year olds now. And it all starts skyrocketing right when we threw smartphones in their face. Do you think, would you say gaming and social media are in the same level? Oh, yeah. uh, I've heard you talk about gaming a lot. Can you just say a couple words about that? Oh, yeah. How, how yeah. that compares to social media? Because I know that boys and girls also have tendencies to be drawn towards either, but I just mm -hmm. want to make sure parents listening know um, sure. how, how both of them affect. Kids. Well, first off, let me just say that gaming today is social media, 150%. And if you don't believe me, ask why do they have a headset when they play Fortnite? Or why do they have a headset when they play Roblox or when they're playing Minecraft? Um, social media, uh, gaming for boys especially is a form of social media. They're talking to friends or worse strangers who they shouldn't be talking to. Um, I had a kid on my podcast, 18, uh, that I just posted last week named Jack who drove out from Denver and he talked about his, uh, how he got sucked into gaming in, in sixth grade and then seventh grade, eighth grade. And he was playing the games that a lot of your kids play, you know, like the Clash games and the, you know, the Fortnite, whatever. Uh, and he said, I felt, I remember feeling I had this uh, overwhelming sense of responsibility for the game, for my clan, the people that I was playing with. I felt like I was, if I wasn't playing, that I was letting them down. Um, gaming today and, and shame on the gaming company and congrats at the same time. They have, they have figured it out. Um, they have found a way, and I, and I know a lot of it is because the gaming companies hire child psychologists that work side by side with coders and developers, and they say, hey, if you tweak this, if you, if you throw this in, boys and kids are going to react so much higher, they're going to play longer. I mean, they literally have these people on staff. Um, they have found a way to give boys especially uh, everything that boys crave that we as their parents and a society 
have taken from them in the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, boys, what do they love? I'm a boy. What do boys love? They want to collaborate with friends. They want to move objects through space and time. They want to accomplish things, right? They want to be a hero. They, they want to know that they're great at something. And I remember at the very end of Legends of Zelda, which is going to date me. I was an 80s, early 90s kid. Uh, at the end of Zelda, when you bought, when you won one of the Zelda games, it literally this like music played and like, you know, these things were exploding. And then it said, congratulations, blah, blah. Like the text literally said, you are great. And I remember thinking as like an 11 year old kid, I was like, oh my gosh, I am a freaking hero. <laughs> and that feeling like no one told me I was great. Like my dad never told me I was great. My mom, she loved me, but she never said, you are so great. Uh, and now the games are doing that on acid, on steroids to the 50th degree. Mm-hmm. They are giving boys the things they want, moving objects through space and time, collaborating with peers, being able to level up, to be a hero, to be able to go fat, fight bad guys, to be able to just you know, do all those fun things um, because we took that away from them. Um, the ability to let them just run around and be boys and be girls and go play and go get dirty and mess up and like be awesome at something. Um, and especially now, like one of the saddest things when you walk into middle schools and high schools, when you see, especially if those schools, uh, still let phones on campus, which I can't, I don't understand why they do that. Um, you see so many boys just sitting on the hallway with their hoodie on, uh, just totally isolated, totally alone. And they got their phone sideways and they got the AirPods in and they're all playing games, mm-hmm. either watching YouTube or they're playing games. Uh, and I think about this when I walk into schools and I see like you walk into a high school, middle school and like the school tells you right away, what do they value? You see banners for the football team. You see, you see banners for the basketball team. You see banners for all the sports and athletes. You see trophy cases. And so you walk in as a kid and you're like, that is what this school values. So if I'm a socially awkward, skinny, you know, prepubescent boy who really doesn't know how to talk to people and is not any good at any sports, like, where is my place? I have nothing. I have no tribe. Uh, like, why wouldn't I go play video games all day, right? Why wouldn't I want to go sit there and put a headphone on, headphone AirPods in, and go pull my game out and then just bust it out and win and crush and be a hero? Like, why wouldn't I do those things? And so it is a very, very slippery slope to get your boys really into gaming at a young age and let that continue. I have no problem with video games. Uh, well, I do. I don't have problem with video games <laughs> moderation. If your kid plays Minecraft, awesome. Uh, if your kid plays Fortnite, awesome. Play with them. Mm-hmm. Get on the headset and connect with them that way. And then play for 45 minutes and then get, and get off. Um, don't let them get sucked into the constant dopamine and the addiction part that really steps in. Because if you, if you lose your boys to video games, it's really, really hard to get them back. Um, because again, they're just so good at th- This is how they were all created. Like, I mean, Fortnite is free. Fortnite made a billion nine last quarter. Mm-hmm. Like, how is this possible? Right? They have, they have dialed it in. Uh, I could go off forever on this, but just, you know, if, if your kid's a gamer, I love them. I love gamers. They're awesome. But if they're playing a lot, like we need to really step in. Um, the games, if you let them, they will, they're all, they'll just keep going, go, 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 go. And they're not going to stop. Uh, you have to be the brakes and step in again, go back to that first part, talking about self uh, setting boundaries, uh, especially for those kids who want to game all day. Yeah. And I think the two, the two big problems there are obviously the addictive quality that these games have, but then also that just silo effect. So I was laughing when you're talking about Zelda because I totally played that growing up. Ocarina of Time, loved it, felt so good. But guess 
guess what? I didn't play by myself on my phone all the time. I played with friends and we were talking and enjoying. And, you know, I've talked with a lot of grown men about this who did play video games and it was a social thing. And then they went out and played, you know, hockey in the street after they played for a couple hours. And I just see this with kids now. They're all just going into their own little phone separate from each other they're all maybe together sometimes but they're all just on their own little phone worried about their own little world and that part seems so dangerous to me the isolation is the problem right um if these boys are all together in a room in a basement all playing laughing you know for an hour with pizza Mm -hmm. then they all went out and you know toilet paper to house afterwards i'd have no problem with this at all Right. Um, but again, it's a symptom of the overarching problem, which is that kids aren't being, they, they aren't feeling a connection. Right. Um, kids tell me all the time that they're depressed. Mm-hmm. You know, they come to me they're like, I have depression. And like kids, like sixth grade, they're like, well, Colin, thank you so much for the assembly. So I have depression. And I'm like, wait a <laughs> second, like, hold on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think a lot of these kids actually have diagnosed depression. I think that they are just craving connection and community. Mm-hmm. And so we, as parents, we have got to be better villagers and we have to cre- recreate the community uh, that, yeah. that, that, that we're lacking. I've, I've, I read an article about these things called like uh, community pods that parents are doing now with Corona, mm-hmm. where uh, they go out and find other families that are all like in their same mindset, you know, low screen time or no screen time. And they found them through Facebook groups or something, ironically enough, or just neighbors. Mm-hmm. And then they just like every day they get together and they let their kids all go play with each other. Um, you know, play dates times 10, like every couple of days. I'm, I met some of these groups like up in, when I spoke on Portland or uh, other places. Like we just, you know, three times a week, we just go take the kids up to the mountains and just let them run around. And I'm like, that is so what we need to do mm-hmm. to save kids today um, is to build little communities that they can really feel a part of where they can go and be boys and be kids again. Because, you know, these devices, I said in my TED, I said that the day you give your kid a smartphone is the day they stop being a kid. Uh, and that's, I guess some weird, you know, parents like, really? And I'm like, just go ask any parent, right. That, that did that. And now their kids are in high school or college. That's when, that's when we end childhood pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're not stepping in at least and setting some good boundaries. Mm. In one of your podcasts, you mentioned that, or somebody, maybe somebody here you're talking to mentioned that the things we don't get met in our childhood, we spend the rest of our lives trying to meet yeah. those needs. And as you were talking, what I kept thinking is, what you're describing, what technology offers kids is false connections, right? It's all false. It's, it's feeding with dopamine in our brain. We think our need for connection is being met, but it's not. And so just to make sure I understand here, giving yeah. our listeners some concrete steps, you're saying that as we recreate a tribe that helps meet individual needs of boys and girls. And I heard you say things like being a hero for boys, you know, saving people. Boys do want to feel like they are helping. Do you have a couple words that would apply that you notice are words that would apply to girls that are their kind of deep seated needs with oh, yeah, yeah. to connect? You mentioned going outside, meeting with actually creating a community, any other specific steps that you see that you're like, oh yes, this is such a good way to create not false connection, but actual connection. I always ask parents when they say like, how do, what do I do? How do I do this? I say, well, go back to before these things were invented. Right. I mean, it wasn't that long ago when we didn't have screens on our face 24 seven, when we didn't have iPads, we didn't have smartphones, we didn't have social media all the time to like waste our lives on. It wasn't that long ago. I mean, these, these apps only came out 10, 12 years ago, most of them. Uh, so let's go back before then. What did we all do back then? Right. We got together, right. We had, we had fun. We had events, we had parties. I know it's hard to do that right now. Um, but we were planning stuff. It was 
that I can't remember a day where I was not hanging out with friends when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Like literally every morning I woke up and I went to my friend Jake's house and there was always four or five friends and we just hung out all day together and we just did stuff. Now, of course, with Corona, it's tough, um, but that doesn't mean we can't not do stuff. Um, planning activities, arts and crafts days where all the kids come over to your house and there's like a, a big craft thing going on. One thing I think we're missing a lot uh, that we need to bring back is, that will really help your kids is doing uh, service projects to, uh, with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, service projects, my gosh, like you want to help kids start, stop worrying about what's on their screen and, and start looking outward and learning and building empathy, all those things that screens are stealing from our kids. Uh, getting together and doing neighborhood, you know, uh, uh, service projects or with your siblings or, you know, the nieces and nephews. Mm-hmm. Um, I've talked to families where they're like, hey, you know what, once, uh, once or twice a month, uh, we just get together and we do something where we build like packets for the homeless or we do, you know, clothing drives or just some go down and feed the, 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 the soup kitchen, whatever. Um, so it doesn't take a whole lot. The, the, the great thing about your kids, as little as the, the ones you have are old, it doesn't take a whole lot for them to really feel seen, heard, and loved. I mean, literally, if you can find 10 minutes every day to just shut off everything in your mind, put your phone away, and just sit on the floor with your little five-year-old and just like let and just play Legos with them or with your 17, you know, 17 year old that just, you know, throw them, in, get him, get him the car and go get a, like a root or flow and just like turn, let them give them the aux cord and let them just pick the music and just like dance party in the car. Like they don't need hours a day to be reminded that they're, that they're loved and there's connection there. Um, you know, try to do 10, 12 minutes. I talked to a therapist who had on my show, uh, my podcast a while ago named Dr. Amy, and she said when she was on my panel in, uh, in Washington, she goes, uh, she's like, just try and go for 12 minutes. You know, I don't care how busy you are as a parent. You don't have 12 minutes uh, to sit down with your kids and just like read a book uh, or play some Uno or play a little, you know, board game or go on a walk or go kick the soccer ball. Like we can all find that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's going to come down to a lot of us setting new priorities for ourselves. Um, and making sure that we're not wasting time doing the things we don't want our kids to do. You know? <laughs> well, that's the thing is it's all, all of us getting uncomfortable because we're so used to when we feel bored, just head on over to our phone and yep. get that dopamine hit ourselves. And I think it starts there. We can't expect our kids to do anything that we don't model. Yeah. And so I think in, in that vein, what are some tips you have for, um, families overall who want to detox from that screen time. Uh, That's something I've been sharing a lot over on my Instagram is uh, stories of families that have been detoxing as a family. Mm -hmm. Uh, So many amazing stories coming in of parents like, Oh, I saw your video of your friends that did a whole month and now they're on year two of screen free with their boys. And, you know, we're on day three or of, of no screens or day six of no screens. And I've already seen a huge change in my kids um, uh, I got a bunch yesterday from parents who are like, holy cow, like my kids are napping again. Like mm-hmm. I, this is the first time, like mom, some, a mom sent me a photo of her daughter's like probably like six fall asleep in the car. And she's like, she has not napped in three years. And, and she's been, had took a nap every day. Uh, obviously a lot of that because the constant overstimulation of those dang iPad games, uh, is not letting the brain relax. We can talk about that later. Um, but, uh, but doing a detox as a family, um, I think it's time for a lot of parents and families to get together with their kids and say, Hey, uh, as I look around the family, what are we always doing? Like we're on a couch and we're alone together. 
uh, we're together, but no one's talking. And when we're at dinner, you know, people are on their phones. And of course, kids are following our example, right? It's, it's always a um, monkey see, monkey do thing. So parents lead the charge and say, hey, we're going to do seven days of no screen time when you're not at school or online schooling and we're together. Um, and set, uh, set that up. And if you want to learn how to do that, you can go ahead over to my account and uh, or go check out my podcast. We've had a couple recent posts, a uh, couple episodes talking about how to do that. Um, but planning, planning activities and getting your kids on board and say, hey, and in the, in the coolest part, you say, hey, we're just going to do this for a week. We're just doing it for a week. This isn't going to be forever. We're not going to be Amish. I'm not gonna, we're not going to go live barefoot in the woods. Like we're just going to try a week. Mom and dad uh, or you know, whatever uh, the home life is, we're, we're going to set the example. And here's how we're going to do it and go buy a bunch of board games and go plan some activities because I promise you, if you want to do a detox and you just say, let's just rip the devices away and then, you know, suddenly we'll remember how to play together. Like it's going to be crickets. You got to, you got to have something ready to go. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, one thing, Mary Thorne, who's our really good friend who I did that uh, podcast with a couple of days ago, posted her video of how her and her boys and her, and her husband went screen free for a month and that ended up being two years um, and it changed everything for them. She said, you, you can't just take the games away and the uh, phone away. Um, you have to replace it uh, with your time. Mm -hmm. um, so get ready uh, to replace with your time. So my biggest, I think, tip for parents, uh, things that can help you not feel the urge to go pull your phone out and not feel the urge to go numb out in front of your kids because that's you know what we've been doing and we've got bad habits. Um, one of my favorite things I ever did was a year and a half, two years ago, uh, is I unfollowed everyone on social media but my wife. Um, oh. My Instagram, I followed friends, I followed people, every, all walks of life, whatever, athletes and people from the neighborhood, whatever. Um, and I decided, you know, I'm gonna just try for a week, I'm just gonna unfollow everyone and, uh, and just follow my wife. And that was probably one of the best things I've ever done for so many different reasons, which I'm not gonna tell you all, you just figured out. Mm -hmm. um, so unfollowing all the accounts that you find yourself scrolling through, if you're following 250 accounts and they all post once a day. I mean, just to, just to scroll through those, wait four or five, six seconds and to scroll the next one. I mean, you're spending like an hour just scrolling people you don't even know uh, that you probably really don't even actually care about if you missed out what they're doing, right? So go trim your feeds, whatever you see yourself spending a lot of time on, just go cut, cut your, cut your following down to like 50 people that you know and love that inspire you, cut all the people that make you feel miserable about yourself. Um, that'll be a great way to do that. And another option I tell parents is to um, go find an app like Moment where you can put it on your phone and you can say, give me a half hour on Instagram, give me a half hour on Facebook, and then it will block, it'll lock you out for the rest of the day. Oh, wow. Uh, like it's, it's literally like 12-step program for detoxing your own brain. Um, so there's apps that can help you with that, screen time stuff. Um, uh, so many things. I don't know. I mean, it's just, I, I'm telling you, once you get to like past day one where everyone's freaking out about, oh, we're doing a detox, no screens. How do we do this? Ah, I don't know how to be a parent. I don't know how to be a kid anymore. Uh, once you start after a day or two of that, uh, it'll be the best thing you've ever done. I promise. I just want to say an amen to that. My, our listeners have already heard my story of I let my one-year-old, I can't believe this now, but I used to let her watch Sesame Street in Spanish in the car. And when she was one, I was like, what am I doing? And I just stopped. Like, it was just like a total, there's no need for this at all. And what I always tell our listeners is you don't even, like, I, I want to like, you, you don't even miss it. Once you go through the, oh, what are you going to do to fill your brain with the space that you have now? You don't even miss it. It's like this open, free mm -hmm. feeling, not yeah, like yeah. a missing feeling for me at all or for my kids. They don't even, 
they know with our, we just have some very specific boundaries of like, this is when we watch a movie or whatever. And, and I love, you know, when we love movie night and they can do this at this, but aside from those boundaries, it, I don't know, it's just this free, like you don't even miss it. I think a lot of parents think that it's going to be this empty void and it's going to be miserable. And I think for a lot of kids, depending on how much of this they have before you take it away, uh, it, it'd probably be miserable There's a at detox first. time. Yeah. But then it's like this free, you don't even miss it. It's right. beautiful. Right. And your kids will say that to you. They, you, uh, and I joke about it and I post little memes about it. I'm like day three, when my kid tells me, I don't even want my iPad back and it's a mom dancing or something. I, right. it, it happens every single time. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's what I've, here's what I figured out about kids. Um, we were never designed or evolved, whatever it is, uh, to stare at screens all day. Uh, this is not, this is not being human at all. And, and kids know this, they know, and parents who are listening, who know their kids are on iPad, like every parent knows when you're giving your kids too much screen time, there's like, there's always that feeling of guilt because you know, this is not how it's supposed to be. Um, so kids weren't designed to be as, I don't think any of us adults were to be on these screens all day. Um, it is the devices are muting their creativity and muting their ability to be bored and to really think. Um, and kids are amazing when they're bored. They will come up with the most incredible things. Like we're on year two, month seven of screen free. We have a TV, we love movie night, but no iPads, no video games, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll wake up. Uh, I woke up yes, uh, the second day school started uh, to all my kids in the backyard. It was 7.30 in the morning and my 14-year-old, 12-year-old and, all, and the other two, they were all playing capture the flag at 7.30 in the morning <laughs> in the backyard, like really, really loud. And, and you know what we love about what we where we live, I don't even care. Like, you know, like if they're screaming, wake up the neighbors, I could care less. I'd rather, you know, mm-hmm. uh, my parents, uh, our neighbors are already afraid of me. So it's no big deal. They're amazing if you let them be bored. Yeah. And if you give them a chance to think and feel, um, they will blow your mind with what they come up with. That's, that's something I'm loving the message I'm getting from parents who are on day three, day four, day five of the detox this week. Mm-hmm. And, and they're just saying, I can't believe how creative my kids are. Like she literally spent three hours building this like robot helmet. And now she's walking around going beep, beep, boop. She's like, this is the, this is the best. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, and they're not even asking for the screens back. Um, they don't want to be screen junkies. They know life is better than that. I think every family knows life is better than that. We all got hoodwinked into this whole like, you know, tech experiment. And, you know, I share all the time how guys like Steve Jobs, who invented the iPad, wouldn't let his own kids use it. And, you know, the Bill Gates didn't have any technology in his home. Uh, you know, the, the people who make this tech don't let their kids uh, use it. One of the most eye-opening things is when I went to Silicon Valley. I've spoke there about half a dozen times. Um, and I, I spoke in one of the most tech-centered uh, communities on the planet. And it was a parent night. And probably 90% of the parents there all worked in some form of tech or social media company. Um, and almost all of them without fail walked up to me afterwards and said, Colin, we love it. Love what you're doing. I work in tech. I work in hardware, I work in software. Um, our kids, we don't let them touch this stuff. Like how many of them said, we don't let our kids touch this stuff. Where do you work? Oh, I work at Instagram. Okay. What? Yeah. Oh, I don't let my kids touch this stuff. Like (laughs) I'm like, okay, if that's not a wake up call to the rest of us, like, I don't know what else is. Right. Totally. And I think you hit on something there with saying your kids in the backyard being so loud. I, I feel like we've talked about this a few times on our podcast and I get a lot of questions on social media. Well, then how do you, what do you do? How do you get anything done? And I don't know. My response always is it's loud. It's way messy. People are fighting. They're uncomfortable. 
you know, but that's life. You can sit them down and let them numb out on the screen and your house will be perfectly clean and you can get every single thing done you want and you can take your time on your phone, but that's not kids. I think we've gone into this place where we aren't comfortable with our kids screaming, fighting, playing loud, making a mess. And I think that's a disservice because that is childhood. It really is. I had a mom message me yesterday. She said, you know what? My boys have been playing outside for three days straight. And she's like, the only bad thing that happened is they hit a ball and it broke a neighbor's window. (laughs) That is the last time someone's window was broken by a kid's baseball. Like literally, that hasn't happened in entire neighborhoods in the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I will pay for the window repair. I mean, I want more broken windows. Uh, It's a like, we got to let our kids be kids. And, 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 and I love how you said that. Like you, you pick two clean house, happy kids and your sanity, you know, it's a pick. Two, yeah. You can't have all three. Yeah. Um, and it's okay. And one thing I love, Oh, and I've, I love, cause I, I've been saying this for so long and parents are finally doing it and taking the, the challenge and they're like seeing how, it, what I was saying was right. Uh, so thank you me. Anyways, <laughs> what they were saying is how many parents realize they said, you know what I've realized is it is so much easier to parent without these devices. Yeah. I, I had this cat, this, the screen time dilemma and the counterintuitive and the oxymoron is that it's easier, right? That's how they sold it to us. You want your free time. You want to make life so much easier. Look at this thing. It'll give it to your kid. It'll babysit them. It'll entertain them. It'll quote, educate them. Here's these amazing apps. They'll learn. Oh, it's so good. Oh, we don't use it for our kids, but you use it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how many parents are telling me and I've already known this for a long time, that it's so much easier when you don't have to worry about devices, when you don't have to constantly worry about the fights and the tantrums and the arguments because their brains are in this constant state of overstimulation. Now they're taking to our naps. Like so many parents are realizing, waking up that, that we all, like I said, we got hoodwinked thinking that this was going to make everything easier. It made it way worse. And, and, and trust me and trust these other parents that are doing it. It will be easier for you and for your kids to let this happen without screens. It's, it's, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how we all got sucked into this uh, notion. We all got sold. We all got hoodwinked, but uh, I promise you it's so much easier without them. And we've all seen, even when your kids do do something on a screen, they're like a nightmare after. Oh, so grumpy, yes, I mean, you can yeah. just take, take, take that out. Away when they're on it for an hour and a half, rip it away and see what happens. And yeah. if that isn't eye opening to you, um, you know, the, the only other people who react like that when you rip something away are heroin addicts, right? right. Uh, or, or drug addicts. That's the only other per- person. The only other people are, are actual drug addicts because there's something going on in their brain. These poor kids are getting wired for addiction at age two and three now, yeah. um, which is another scary thing because the average, you know, alcoholic and drug addict uh, started drinking or using drugs when they were in middle school mm-hmm. um, as the brain's being developed. Uh, so we're, we're wiring these kids for addiction way too young, but the good thing is their brains are all made of plastic. They can all be unwired and it doesn't take a long time. I promise. Oh, that's so beautiful. So can you dive into that with the little kids a little bit? I think most of our questions that came in through social media are, you know, are there any pros to letting my kids have social media before X age or, you know, what about the screen time with their little or the, you know, learning games? Can you talk to that a little bit with the little kids? Yeah. Um, well, if you have not yet read this book, uh, I've been shouting about it for two years. It's called the book, uh, the book's called glow kids. Um, you please go pick it up. Um, when you have a baby, they show you the video of like, don't shake the baby or like, you know, don't, uh, don't whatever those videos they show, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they need to say, here's the don't shake the baby video 
here's the other video and here's glow kids. Like it should be mandatory reading for parents. Um, you need to go through it and see from a PhD, from research, from a, a professional, what these devices are doing to little itty bitty brains. Uh, and I'm talking about, you know, when they're eight months old and they start crying cause they can, they, they can finally sit up in your grocery store and they, and they start freaking out or they start crying. Um, and you just hand them a phone or you hand them an iPad to shut them up. Yeah, that shut them up for a second. But what is that triggering in their brain? Mm -hmm. um, so go get the book Glow Kids. I tell parents, I say, you only need to read the preface and chapter one and it will change everything for you. I promise. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you hate reading like I do, I like reading, but I know I've never finished a book in my entire life. Um, <laughs> I used to get about halfway. Then I read the last page. I'm like, oh, I got it. Um, so, so the, 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 and, it and it goes into the games too, or the educational ones, um, ABC mouse and Raz kids and all those games where you're like, this is educational. It's so good for my baby. And that's how it's marketed to parents. Right. Um, it will explain to you how those actually aren't doing anything good for your kids. Um, that out of the mountains of research about screen time development and screen time learning, that it will show that there's one research that actually has any benefit to screen time learning. Uh, and that was an increase in pattern recognition. Um, that was the only thing so far that's come out as a good, uh, you know, a pro or a benefit of that is, oh, the ability to recognize patterns sooner, which I don't know what that would help with. Right, uh, right. So much, right? Uh, maybe being like a seamstress. Uh, what, what it, but the mountain of stuff on the other end, um, now coming out, I did a podcast with a, an occupational therapist named Michelle Pine, which I'll release soon. Um, and she said that in the OT world, uh, there's a new term called virtual autism, where kids are being misdiagnosed with attention disorders and with uh, low spectrum autistic disorder. Um, which is actually being false attributed because of too much screen time since they were very, very young. Oh my. Putting their brains in a constant state of overstimulation. Um, those games, even the ABC mouse and Raz kids, they all use dopamine loops. They all trigger dopamine, uh, you know, to keep the kid playing. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and these itty bitty brains are in a constant state of overstimulation. And what is it doing to them? The, the science is coming out, the kids, the verbal delays. Oh my gosh, how many kids at four and five can't even really speak that well uh, mm -hmm. being tied to too much screen time? Um, kids, emotional delays. Uh, you, you know, go, go talk to your kindergartner teachers and say, how many of your kids in the last five years have you noticed just change behavior and tantrums and outbursts? They're like, we can't even handle it anymore. Uh, how many kids can't even hold a pencil when they come to kindergarten? But if you hand them an iPad, they can like find YouTube, they can unlock it, you know, download a VPN network and jump <laughs> the firewall. Uh, so, so you've got to do the research yourself um, because yeah. if you ask the, your friend at high fitness class whose kids all look iPads all day and you say, hey, you know, have you ever thought about too much screen time? What are they going to say? Mm -hmm. Oh, no. What? No, I don't believe those conspiracies, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like I need my me time. They need their, you know, what am I going to be Amish? Like I need to let them like have their screen time so mama can, you know, have her sanity, whatever. Um, Go look and see what the research is actually doing. And I promise you, uh, it'll blow your mind. That's, I mean, I, read, I, I got to page 22 on Glow Kids. I talked to my wife and that day we threw away two iPads, two Kindles, an Xbox, a PS4, I swear, everything. Like I literally chucked them all in the garbage uh, 2.7 years ago and it was the best thing we've ever done. Wow, it gives me the shivers actually because first of all, that shows how powerful the knowledge is. But second of all, as you were talking, we have, I mean, 
we talk so much about when you feel an emotion, you feel it, you lean into it and you go through it. That's the only way. And as you were describing that, I don't know why, but it just dawned on me that literally it's, and it's addiction programming, it's all sorts of programming, but to feel a negative emotion when your baby is crying and here numb it with this. I mean, I feel I didn't grow up with really much screens at all. And I still feel a pull. If I'm feeling like anxious, I do just want to go numb out. I have the pull. I obviously have set boundaries that make me not, but I still feel that pull. So imagine having that your entire life and not knowing how to actually feel the negative emotion. Mm -hmm. So I don't know why, but as you were talking there, it was like a ding, ding, ding. Like this is not just connection and brain development. This is the deep part of being alive. That's just part of feeling our own feelings that screens actually offer us the opportunity to be robbed of that entire experience, which I actually think is part of just being human, right? We have to feel them. We have to feel those feelings and lean into it. So I've had high schoolers say that to me after assemblies, like come up to me and say, Colin, as you were speaking, talking about all this, I realized something uh, that I have never had to really feel anything. Um, Ever since I was a kid, I got an iPad when I was six. I got a smartphone when I was nine. uh, And anytime I don't want to feel and I want to numb it, I just pull out my phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a girl told me she's like a senior in high school. She's like, I just realized that, that I've never really had to do with that. Uh, you want to, you want to know, I think why we have such a, a anxiety, an anxious riddled young, a group of young people, uh, so anxious, struggling with their mental health. Um, if they learn it, uh, month eight, that this device that mom just threw in my face will make me feel better when I just had a tantrum and my mom didn't pick me up and give me a hug or, you know, play with me or make eye contact. She just threw a screen in my face that screen became my pacifier. Mm-hmm. Uh, that screen will always make me feel better. Um, it'll always make me feel better no matter what. And these kids then become five with an iPad and that screen always makes them feel better. Then they become nine with an iPhone and that screen has always been there for them. Um, the amount of kids that have, I've, I've talked to paramedics, uh, first responders, uh, ER docs across the country, the amount of kids that have attempted suicide simply because mom took their phone it is mind boggling. It is the number one cause from what I've seen uh, of, of suicide attempts. It, something to do with my parent took my phone. My mom took my phone. My mom took my Xbox. Just ripping that phone away is making kids feel like I don't even want to exist anymore. And I think a lot of that is because since this kid was a baby, that device was everything for them. Uh, and so if any other reason to not let your kids let the iPad be their babysitter and let them numb out on it, I mean, I, I have no problem with moderation and a little bit of time here and there, no problem at all. Um, but if that doesn't, if that right there doesn't say, Hey, um, maybe we really should think about what we're letting screens, uh, what, what they mean to our family, to our kids, like what that, what purpose they're serving. Um, maybe it's time for us to really rethink this. If not, like we did just chuck everything into a volcano. <laughs> yeah. And our listeners have heard me say this a few times because we get a lot of questions about the learning apps. And I just feel like, why? There's so many other ways for them to learn. And I think it's this false pretense we have and this expectation that our kids need to be able to recite the alphabet at this age and, you know, just keep all this. Everyone and they do Exactly. And, and I hear their say, friends well, say, oh, no, you've got to let them use the screen. Yeah. I hear that so yeah. many times. What do you say yeah. to if my friends are always like, no, you have to let them. If you, if you don't give them these iPads when they're four with all these learnings, they're going to be so, so disadvantaged. Or so, mm-hmm. when, when if you look at the data and you look at what's happening, 
I mean, there's entire provinces in Australia that are ditching screens completely. They are throwing all iPad learning out. There are entire school districts in Northern California that are getting rid of all screen time learning um, because what was sold is that this is so good for us uh, is actually finally coming out. It took a, a long time saying, actually, no, this has actually been really detrimental to kids. None of these, none of these games actually are helping our kids. Uh, it, it's just this false sense of like, you're doing a good job, mom. Like, here's how you be a good mom. You want to be a good mom? Let your kids have this learning game. And that, that's how you be a good mom. And, right. uh, you know, if you look at the tech education business, it's $60 billion a year. Um, obviously there's a lot of money involved in this stuff. And, uh, and, and sadly, I think a lot of even school districts got, uh, kind of conned into this. No, this is the only way kids learn today. You've got to give them iPads in kindergarten. This is the only way they learn. They're so ADD. They've got to learn on an iPad. Uh, when there's billions of dollars at stake, um, I think you got to ask a little tougher questions than that. Mm-hmm. So when your schools, because most schools, I mean, a lot of schools now do do online learning. Do you just recommend setting boundaries then that when they come home, they use it for their homework, but not for anything else? What's your recommendation there? Yeah, yeah. obviously it's a tough situation right now. Um, the entire city of Las Vegas, every kid got issued a Chromebook or an iPad or a laptop and they're, they're online all day. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's like no filters on those and parents are working and I'm just like, I feel so bad for those kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so every situation is different. My kids are going to school full time. Like I, Utah where I live, obviously, I don't know if they just don't believe in science, who knows, <laughs> but they're at school full time and I'm loving it. They're, they're doing good. Um, but for your kids, I, if they are doing, you know, three, four hours a day of mandatory screen time, learning, uh, you know, zoom calls or classwork, um, it's a, uh, right now that's okay. Um, don't beat yourself up for that. I know the kids are struggling with that because this is not how kids are supposed to learn, but it is what it is for right now. So let's just, let's separate the two, uh, digital candy and digital protein. As my friend Katie McPherson always says, digital candy. So digital protein is their homework, their learning, their studying, they're watching the documentary, they're doing their essay, whatever. I have no problem with that right now. Um, what we really need to do as parents is really look at limiting the digital candy stuff. If they need a, a few minutes to just veg out and play a game real quick with some friends uh, or check their Snapchat and just you know, respond to some people, um, I, that, if that's what they have to do, great. Um, but if they were already four hours a day or six hours a day on a device, uh, just doing like non-educational stuff, now we're throwing four to six hours a day of educational stuff. I mean, they can't handle like 10 hours a day of the screen time stuff. Right. Uh, so I, I think we're okay with the exception right now. Um, you can do the screen detox with your family, do a seven day detox, do the schoolwork on the laptop and the Chromebook and say, that doesn't even count. Let's not even worry about that. Let's just, the iPad stuff, the video games, the social media, all that. Let's, let's detox that. Um, and separate the two for now. Um, I like that description of the protein versus the candy. That's because you're not getting the dopamine hits from writing your essay, you know, and, you know, and watching a documentary. So I really like that. That's a good distinction. I would like to know, Colin, can you tell me as you describe, I just would love, I think personal examples are so powerful. So can you share with us just your own, Felicia and I have talked about our own screen boundaries, how we model it for our kids and, and our specific screen green boundaries for our children, but in your home, what does that look like? And how do you keep yourself from being uh, pulled into your phone more than you would like? Uh, Well, obviously I have to use my phone um, to do what I do. And uh, when we talk about social media, people sometimes like, Oh, like you you talk about social media being bad, but like, I'm like, no, I love social media. The fact that you can use it to share messages, then you can create movements and you can do all that kind of stuff. Social media is a great tool for that. 
Um, but I've had to find ways to really limit the time and, and find specific times during the day. So I'm not in front of my phone, uh, on my phone in front of my kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's always one of my biggest goals is not pull my phone out ever in front of my kids. Um, and so there's, there's things that you can do um, in, in our house. So if you walk into our house, we have a TV and we have that up, uh, upstairs where we can watch family movies on. Um, and that's it. We are big Dodgers fans. And so we watch Dodgers games with my son and the girls love it too. And then maybe we'll do like a movie maybe once a week or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so other than that, there's nothing else. There's no iPads, uh, Chromebooks. Um, I do have a Chromebook I bought just in case they're going to need it for schoolwork type stuff. Um, but uh, that's it. And that's two years, seven months. We did that two years ago in uh, January. Um, so over two and a half years we've been doing that way. And it's been amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, our house is constantly half clean and half a disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, our kitchen table for a year and a half has been uh, covered in Legos to the point where we gave up. Uh, that was our nice kitchen dining room table. It's totally covered in Legos. <laughs> toys everywhere. We have arts and crafts everywhere. Uh, we have one room, uh, the piano room, where my, we really try and keep nice if anyone comes over. Uh, but everywhere else, there's always stuff going on. Uh, we have music playing constantly. Um, I love having positive, happy music. If, if, if you're ever wanting to change the tone in your house, um, you cannot go wrong with 1950s classics. I'm talking like throwback 1950 music where everyone's talking about like holding hands with girls and taking them to the soda shop. Like that music or old Frank Sinatra stuff we play and the kids, you know, so there's always happiness and positive music going on. Um, and as far as us being off the devices, my wife's really good at not pulling her phone out in front of the kids. I, uh, I am doing the best I can. I've made it a goal for about two years to never pull it out in front of them. Um, and I do sometimes, but I've had to find places where I can do it. So I wake up early and get as much work done as I can before the kids are up. And uh, if I do get a text after respond, I will usually hide it from my kids. I'll pull like, pull, you know, respond, pull my shirt and hide my phone. Uh, things like that. Um, I have, th- I have three different phones. Uh, so I have my phone that I use for work stuff. I've got a gab phone, which if your listeners don't know about that, go check out gab wireless. If you want to save your kids completely from the social media screen time problem and their middle schoolers, go get them a gab phone. It just calls and texts. It's pretty cool. And your uh, daughter, so, your daughter has a gab phone, right? Well, we, okay. So my oldest is in ninth grade uh, her name's Avery and we have a gab phone uh, that is a family phone. We use kind of like a landline that they can take if they need to. Oh. Um, so let me tell you this. Um, my daughter, Avery, she doesn't even care about having a phone. Um, she's got friends. She's awesome. She plays guitar. She's in music theater. And literally, she doesn't even care about bringing the Gab phone. And I think a lot of that is because we did not accidentally make a smartphone the most important thing in her life. Mm-hmm. Um, parents, um, when you give your kid a phone, especially when they're younger, like pre, like I'm talking like tween, I'm talking like eight, nine, 10, 11. Um, and they start learning that that device is your pawn in the game of parenting, where if you want them to do something, you threaten to take away the phone, or if they do something wrong, you take it away or you give it to them because they, when you make the phone, the only thing that can get them to do anything, what you're inadvertently teaching your kid is that that device should mean the most thing in the world to you. Right. Uh, and, and you see it, you see kids at school walking around with their phone, especially when they get it and they've had it for maybe six months. They, they hold it like they can't even put it down. Right. Like you see kids walking around, you know, walking to and from school in middle school and they hold, I mean, they literally hold the phone like it's like an injured bird. 
And if they drop it, they freak out, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, so she got to ninth grade never having a phone to now the point where she's like, I don't even think I need this. Like, I don't even care if I have one. So we have a Gab phone that they can take. Uh, my seventh grader takes it when she goes to soccer uh, so she can call us when she's done if she wants to. Um, but my ninth graders learned that she doesn't care about a phone. She doesn't need a phone. She has no desire to have one. And if she needs to get a hold of us, she's just like, dad, I don't even want to bring the Gab phone. I'll just use one of my friend's phone if I need to call you. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what we do at our house for those two. Um, the two youngers, what we really like for them is we use these little things called relay, which are these little walkie talkie square things um, that they just lanyard to their backpack. Um, the only reason I like those is because it's just a button they push. They can just boop and it just sends a little message to my phone. They can talk to me. It's like walkie talkie, which oh, is kind of cool. cool. And I can track them. It's all 4G so I can track where they're at. You can set up geofences. And so if they, you know, get abducted, it'll like ring your phone back. Oh, your kid just traveled out of this area. You might want to go check out where they're at. Um, <laughs> uh, we have to, yeah, yeah. Um, parents are throwing their kids in the deep end, uh, teaching them how to swim. And when you give your kid a smartphone when they're young, like you're literally throwing them in the deep end with no floaties on mm -hmm. and saying, good luck swimming. Mm -hmm. uh, we need to go back to the ways of, okay, here's some floaties, which are, you know, little easier, you know, the, whether it be a relay uh, or whether it be like a gizmo watch or some of those gaps coming out with a watch too here soon, uh, where you can track your kid and they can push a button, they can text or talk you, uh, just to mom. Mm -hmm. um, before you throw them a smartphone, um, I hear parents that tell me all the time, they say, well, if you don't give them a phone now, they're going to just go crazy when they get it when they're in college, right? I mean, I'm afraid to not let them get on social media right now because when they're, if we withhold it from them, then they're going to go berserko in college and they're going to, you know, whatever. Um, I hear that excuse a lot. And let me just say one thing to that. Um, absolutely not. <laughs> I cannot tell you how many college kids have told me Colin, after I spoke to the college, they say, my parents were the mean parents. I didn't have a phone. I had no social media growing up. And, you know, I, I got upset about it when I was growing up sometimes. But now I'm in college. I thank them every day. Oh, wow. Uh, because I'm thriving. Uh, and I'm successful. And all my friends are in therapy and really struggling. And I'm having fun. And I'm, I got my scholarship. Um, and they're, you know, loving life. I'm not saying that you, you can't have, you know, having a phone doesn't mean you're not going to have those things. Um, but as far as that excuse, I always say, you know what, it's, it's, if these devices, and if you look at the brain scans, they do the same thing on the brain as drugs and alcohol uh, with the copious amounts of dopamine. Uh, if the devices are similar in, uh, uh, to those things, it's like saying, okay, well, my daughter's going to see vodka and booze and weed when she's in college at parties. Uh, I better let them get on it now while they're young. Yeah. Uh, and then they can, uh, you know, let's let them sip vodka at home so I can make sure they're not going to get drunk when they're in college. <laughs> Their brains are going to be much more mature when they're in high school. If you can get them through middle school, high school without this stuff, when they get on Instagram or Snapchat or whatever they want to get to in the college, they're going to be solid who they are. They're going to be okay. And, and they're not going to make nearly as many mistakes. I've had, I'm glad you actually talked about that for a little bit. Cause I've had so many parents who have like 17 to 25 year olds who have told me if I could do anything over again, it would be not to give my kid a smartphone for that same reason of you're just opening up the entire world for them. But I had, I had one mom say, well, I had, a, I had a couple sons who came back and when they were like 22, started looking at pornography and then we dealt with that. So she's like, maybe I should have given it to them earlier so they could manage it in my own house. And my answer to that is, it's why we can't, we shouldn't drink. I mean, it's a law. You can't drink before you're 21 because your brain, yeah, I think yeah. any addiction, yeah, it's not great at any age, but I think any, the older we can have them, the more their brain is developed. I would much rather have them face that and deal with it and it's not going to be fun. 
than have it when their brain is like in the crux of development as a teenager. Because like you said, with any addiction, so many of them, the lifelong ones, oftentimes start when they're so young and it's because of that brain plasticity Almost. development. So I'm really glad you spoke to that because I know that is an issue for a lot of parents. So thank you. Yeah. Wait, wait, any, anything that is potentially addictive, wait till they're out of high school at least for them to start seeing it. Now that doesn't mean we don't teach our kids, right? Right. Pa- right, right. Parents always have this misnotion that like, well, your daughter doesn't have a smartphone or social media. So, you know, she doesn't know anything about my, all my kids know about this stuff. You know, we, we talk about sexting in fifth, sixth grade uh, on a level that makes sense for them at that age. We talk about pornography when they're very young. We talk about, you know, we have the sex talk very young. We talk about, I mean, I, I, when TikTok became really big and my daughter was like, well, you know, my friends are all talking about this. I, I download on my phone and I start pulling it and scrolling with her. I'm like, what do you think about this? You know, look at, look at how these kids are all dancing. I mean, what, how, do you, how do you feel when you see this? Oh my gosh, well, that's really sad that she danced like that with like, you know, shaking her butt like that. Like that just, that seems like she's just... Maybe it doesn't have a lot of self-worth. Maybe I'm talking to my kids about this stuff. If you don't talk about it, your kids are going to be very curious and they're going to want to go explore for themselves. Um, And so make sure you're having conversations. Uh, If you just hide it and say, don't worry about it. You know, like I would say parents, like if you say there's a monster in a box under your bed, don't look at that. And then you walk off, Mm -hmm. you're telling your kids, holy cow, there's a monster. Like, what does this thing look like? And then they're going to go get bit and then they're not going to talk to you because they feel bad that yep. they broke your little rule there. Mm-hmm. Um, so have, have conversations all the time with your kids about this stuff. If, once they start asking questions, it, uh, uh, you're, you know you're a few months too late. Uh, so start, so they'll pick up right there and start talking about it. Um, whatever it is that you know their friends are being exposed to. Um, uh, you know, it, and it sucks. Like I feel bad that we have to do this. You know, most of our parents didn't talk to us about this stuff ever, let alone when we were in high school. Now you got to talk about them when they're in fourth, fifth grade because that's when they're starting to get exposed to this stuff. I agree a million percent, I think. And that goes back to connection. You're talking about real connection and talking about those difficult things actually creates beautiful connection. I've known you love the, you are a proponent of the book, Good Pictures, Bad Pictures, right? Do you recommend oh, yeah. that as a, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. a conversation get, starter for kid parents? Yeah, I just did a podcast with Kristen, who's the author of that. I love that book. That's the book we bought. And re- there's a one for little kids and one for slightly older kids. Um, mm-hmm. It's a fantastic book to start right around probably age five. Uh, mm-hmm. sadly, is when you have to start with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and because they might go to a friend's house and on an iPad, they might be like, oh, look at this I found. Look at these boobies, you know? And you're like, oh, they don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so good pictures, bad pictures for your little toddlers is a great place to start. Um, and, and don't be afraid that if you talk about it, uh, it that that's going to make them more curious to go look at it. In fact, that has always been proved uh, counter. That's usually, people always say, well, if you talk about suicide, it's going to make kids want to think about it more. Actually, it actually helps Mm-hmm. Uh, to talk about it because it gives them a place to, you know, to think and ask questions. Um, so pornography, the average age a kid will be exposed is around eight. And so starting around age five is when you want to start talking about it and what they do if they see something and how they need to react and come to you and look away. Um, prepare them for this stuff uh, when they're younger. Um, because if, if, if too, many, too many kids, like you said, too many kids at 12, 13 are literally fighting the porn industry and fighting the social media industry all by themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a really, really sucky situation for our kids to be in. Oh, that's so and I think that takes us looking at our perception of what our use for our screens and our social media is, because I think we have this in the back of our mind where we need social media to connect with people. We need, our kids need phones to learn if we have that perception and just kind of, changing those because we have to change first 
Because yeah. if we feel that, then we're going to think, are my kids missing out on something if they don't have a phone, if they don't have social media? Am I not connecting with people? But I love the book Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. Oh, yeah. And it's so great. And he talks about, you know, if we want some concrete steps is remove remove all of our stuff. So you're totally detoxed. You're on nothing. And then be intentional about, okay, so if my need is to connect with my family, is the best way for me to use Facebook or am I just scrolling mindlessly through people's feeds or should I rather schedule a lunch with my mother-in-law? And I love that way of looking at it of what are our needs and what's just this dopamine want hit, you know, numb out thing. So So Colin, I want to be mindful of your time here. I know we've gone a little bit over and I would just love to hear, we ask all of our guests, what is one habit that you have that is a game changer for you and helps you find the magic in your life right now? Uh, Microwaving a donut. I don't know if you (laughs) (laughs) I did not learn about this until like 32. Uh, That was probably the biggest game changer in my life. Uh, Besides that, um, you know, there's a lot of little things that I realize as I get older that really matter. We all have our own different value systems and there's no reason to shame different value systems. Some people are all about accumulating wealth. Some people are all about changing the world. Some people are all about just, you know, catching up on the office. It doesn't really matter. Um, but I think one thing that's really, uh, that as I've grown up and changed, uh, is really looking at everyone I see as like my brother, uh, or a sister. I don't care who it is. Um, Our country, man, we are struggling um, with, there's so many issues and and it's so overwhelming right now. You know, it it feels like, uh, like we're in this like nightmare. If you look at the news and and what's happening and, you know, with, uh, with everything, with racism and with uh, the protests and with politics and the news and now there's hurricanes and it's, and it's a really, really uh, stressful time. Um, and I think we are losing um, what's most important is that, that we look at each other um, as our own siblings, as family. Um, that's where we're dying is, is, is we're losing this. And so one thing that I've done is, over, the, over the years is, is really try and look at everyone as a family member, as a sibling, and how can I help that person? Um, one of my favorite things to do, I cashed out um, a speaking check I got once and just cashed all in the 20s. And I got a big, and don't, I shouldn't say this. I have a big stack of twenties in my truck, just in a box. <laughs> and, uh, and every, every time I drive by a kid who him and his friends are doing a lemonade stand or selling rocks or whatever, I always pull by and have some fun. And I wad up a 20 in a little tiny square. So it looks like a dollar and I hand it to him. And I'm like, all right, that should be fine. I drive off and then just like get their reaction and they just freak out and scream. It always makes me feel better. Um, every day, if I can, like if I go someplace, like I'll always pay for someone's stuff, drive through, you know, walk up to see an old lady who's just ordering like two things at a restaurant and just like grab her bill. Um, I'm one of those people that has to do good to feel good and not the other other way around where you have to feel good to do good. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, you know, there's not a whole lot of like specifics to that. I just think that the more, that I, I've been able to find the magic in my life by really, really looking outward and saying, how, do, how can I help? What can I do to help someone? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it doesn't need to be big. And helping kids, like if you want a drug that is addictive and make you feel amazing, like go mm-hmm. drop a $20 bill on a kid who's selling lemonade. Mm-hmm. There's, really another, there's no better feeling than that, I swear. 
Uh, so microwave a donut and uh, let's be, you know, let's, let's go be a human family again and really help each other out. Um, I think that's what we're missing. Those are both so magical, Colin. <laughs> are you a four second or seven second in the microwave with the donut? Oh, uh, if it's the chocolate bar, like you can't go past 10 because you need this, you need the chocolate part to soften. But if it goes too long, then it just drips off. It's true. And then you're just dipping it. Like when you take bread and like <laughs> stoop, um, cinnamon rolls, like 24, uh, the, the Costco chocolate muffin, 24 seconds, it's gonna be not too hot, but everything, all the chocolates will be melted. Uh, I love that. And the donut and I just appreciate all the work that you do besides going past lemonade stand i think you're saving and helping a lot of kids and a lot of families create that connection that we're missing and we can you know if you are a parent it starts in your home and i think sometimes we feel like we aren't you know reaching enough people we're not doing something big enough so just throw up our hands but you have so much influence with your own kids and it just grows slowly from there so colin thank you you are an inspiration to all of us. Well, I really appreciate you guys. Thank you for what you're doing and thanks for having me on. All right, have a good day. Let's find the magic. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. <clears throat> <laughs> Brown cows. <laughs>